Well, again, good morning. Thanks for joining us here at Prairie View Christian Church. So last week, we read one of the most captivating miracles in all of Scripture. In Joshua chapter 10, as Israel's army battles five kings from the promised land, God makes the sun and the moon stand still at Joshua's request. As you read that story, it becomes abundantly clear. As it has in every other story we've read from this book, that God won that victory. It wasn't Israel. It wasn't Joshua. It was God. The sun might be the single greatest thing that you ever see in this life. But in Joshua 10, God proves himself to be even greater. But a major shift takes place at this point in the book. The focus turns from Joshua leading God's people to gain the promised land to Joshua leading the effort to distribute the promised land that they've won. We see that shift take place in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. Thanks for noticing, Lord. And there remains yet very much land to possess. That's one side of it. But then look at the second half of verse six. God continues there. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. So in one sense, there will still be some fighting left to do. Not every corner of the promised land has been conquered. But in another sense, Joshua and the Israelites can finally exhale. They can finally slow down. They can finally rest. And that's a good thing because Joshua's not exactly a spring chicken anymore. He's likely around 85 years old. At this point in the book, the man who God called to be strong and courageous probably isn't as strong as he once was. Joshua's hair may have grayed. His posture may be more hunched. His joints may ache more than they once did. Now, this old man has seen some pretty amazing things. Joshua witnessed the plagues in Egypt watched the Red Sea part, and served as Moses' right-hand man. He saw the waters of the Jordan River stop, spoke with the mysterious commander of the Lord's army, and marched over Jericho's collapsed walls. He's seen some amazing things. But this old man has also seen some terrible things. Joshua saw his countrymen fail to trust God and get thrust back into the wilderness for 40 years. He saw his nation lose a battle because of one man's hidden sin. And more than once, he saw the pitfalls of acting rashly before consulting with God. You'd think that after all of that, the good and the bad, That Joshua is probably ready to retire. He's ready to stop. He's ready to rest. 
But before Joshua goes, he has a bit more work to do. As we move ahead to chapter 23, even more time has passed. By then, Joshua is over 100 years old. But Joshua still has a few words to say. He makes sure to give the people of Israel some parting words of wisdom. And only if they follow Joshua's guidance will the Israelites ever find rest. So open up to Joshua 23, verse 1. Feel free to use our Bibles here if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Again, an eventful week, uh, a heavy week. Thank you that there is the consistency of Sunday morning, uh, whether it's Good things that we've encountered or bad things or successes or failures or whether it was a relatively normal week or a week filled with headlines. Thank you that we can come here on Sunday morning and worship you. And I pray that we wouldn't just come here to worship you to make ourselves feel better, uh, although that is a, a good thing that can happen on Sunday mornings, but that we would come here to glorify you. That's the main purpose of Sunday morning. And so I pray that we would accomplish that purpose here today, that you would be glorified by what we say and what we do. That you'd be glorified not just by our mouths and our actions, but glorified by what we think in our minds and what we feel in our hearts. Lord, again, thank you for your word that we get to read this morning. Help us heed the wisdom that you give us in your word. Old Testament, New Testament, Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that we would glorify you as we read it. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, reading Joshua 23, starting in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies... And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the West. The Lord, your God, will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord, your God, promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. 
And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you. A whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Some refer to these words, along with the words of chapter 24, which we'll read next week. Some call them Joshua's farewell address, or even his last will and testament. And there seem to be four main points here, repeated in different ways throughout. Point number one is that Joshua reminds the Israelites of their complete, utter, total dependence upon God. You see it mixed in throughout. Verse three, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done for your sake. Verse five, the Lord, your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. Verse nine, the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. Verse 10, the Lord, your God fights for you. Verse 14, not one of the Lord's promises has failed. God did it all. Joshua does not expect praise, honor, and glory for himself as he prepares to die. He does not expect a plaque, a statue, or getting to pick something out of a catalog for his years of service. God has done, and God is doing, and God will do the heavy lifting for his people. So Joshua reminds them not to forget their dependence upon him. Point number two, Joshua challenges the people to respond appropriately to this God who has done everything for them. Specifically, Joshua challenges them to be faithful and obedient. Verse six, keep the law of your God. Don't turn to the right or to the left. 
Verse 8, cling to the Lord your God. Verse 11, be very careful to love the Lord your God. The only proper response to the God who has done so much for you is to be faithful and obedient to him. Point number three, Joshua calls the Israelites to maintain their distinctiveness from the surrounding nations. Since the days of Moses, God had called the Israelites not to imitate, not to mix with, not to assimilate themselves to the surrounding nations. Why not? Well, the biggest reason was the temptation to worship their false gods. In verse 7, God tells the Israelites, don't even mention those false gods' names. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. Do not worship them. Israel must be different. And then finally, lesson number four, Joshua warns the Israelites of the consequences of falling away from God. God has held up his end of the covenant. He's fulfilled his promises. He's brought Israel safely to the promised land. But now they must fulfill theirs. And if they don't, if they abandon their God, their judgment will be severe. Verses 13 and 15 remind us that they will perish Off the good land that the Lord their God had given them. Now why again does Joshua feel the need to issue this farewell address? And for that matter, why is God so demanding of Israel's trust, obedience, and worship? And while we're at it, why does God threaten to judge them so harshly if they fail? Well, first of all, he's God. He deserves all the glory his people can offer. Second, he brought them here by his grace, and his grace must not be taken for granted. And third, because trusting, obeying, and worshiping God is the only way that Israel can have rest. Now, I suppose that's all well and good for a group of ancient Israelites. But what does any of that have to do with a group of contemporary Christians like us? Well, we too are God's people. Our identity not centered around ethnic ties to Abraham or adherence to every bit of the law of Moses. But centered around faith in Jesus Christ. And as God's people, we need to hear the same words the Israelites heard. First, we too need to be reminded of our complete, utter, and total dependence upon God. The only reason the Israelites found themselves with this nice new plot of land to call home and rest in was God's grace. Likewise, the only reason we Christians find ourselves looking forward to eternal rest is by God's grace. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we forget our dependence upon God and his grace, we have forgotten the very essence of the gospel. Second, we too are challenged to respond appropriately to the God who has given us everything. As Paul reminds us in Romans 6, the fact that we are saved by God's grace does not give us license to pursue sin. Rather, because God has done so much for us through Jesus Christ and given us his Holy Spirit, we respond with faithfulness and obedience. Third, we too are called to be distinct from those around us. Like the Israelites back then, we Christians are also tempted to compromise our identity, to soften our convictions, or even abandon our calling from God for the sake of fitting in, avoiding disapproval, and not rocking the boat in a fallen world. We too are tempted to bow down to and serve the false gods of this fallen world for the sake of going along to get along. But we are called to be different from those around us who do not know God. And that's because by faith in Jesus Christ, we really are different. And finally, we too need the warnings about the consequences of falling away. Jesus teaches his disciples in John 15 that if they do not abide in him, if they do not dwell in him, remain in him, stay in him, they will be like branches that wither, are thrown away, and burned. Jesus gives us these warnings in order that we would avoid that fate. So may we heed those warnings. Now, why do I feel the need to tell you these things? And for that matter, why is Jesus so demanding of our trust, obedience, and worship? And while we're at it, why does Jesus threaten to judge us so harshly if we fail? Well, first of all, he's God. He deserves all the glory his people can offer. Second, he brought us here by his grace, and his grace must not be taken for granted. And third, because trusting, obeying, and worshiping Jesus is the only way that we can have rest. If you haven't picked up on it yet, rest is a major theme of this sermon. And that's because rest is a major theme of the book of Joshua. And come to think of it, of the entire Bible. In Genesis 2, what does God do on day 7 when his work of creation is complete? He rests. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin against God in the garden... What's one of the consequences? A lack of rest. When God gives Moses his law in Exodus 20, what's commandment number four? The Sabbath. 
the weekly day of rest. Psalm 23 describes God as a good shepherd who leads his flock to green pastures beside still waters where his sheep can do what? Where they can rest. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to the day of salvation when lions and lambs lie down together and rest. This theme is all over the pages of Scripture. But it makes a particularly important appearance for our purposes today in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews has a similar goal in mind as Joshua did in his farewell address. He's encouraging his people to trust and obey and worship God in order that they might find rest. And he uses Joshua's generation, those who did not believe, those who never made it to the promised land, those who never got to rest, as an example and a warning against falling away. We pick up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, referring to the people of Israel, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on, which he did in Psalm 95, if you go a few verses up. The passage is quoted in Hebrews 4, are from Psalm 95. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The author of Hebrews acknowledges that as great as Joshua's service to God was, and as much of a blessing as the promised land really was, it didn't truly give God's people rest. But if Joshua can't give God's people rest, if the promised land can't give God's people rest, then what can? Who can? In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is is light. The truest, fullest, best, and really only eternal source of rest for God's people isn't so much a place. It's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it's common for the fulfillment of God's promises to be both already and not yet. And we saw a bit of that today. As we mentioned, in one sense, Joshua and the Israelites have already conquered the promised land. But in another sense, not yet. 
there's still territory to claim. In one sense, God's people could finally rest from battle. But in another sense, not yet. There are still battles to be fought. Many of God's promises in the pages of Scripture are both a present reality and a future hope at the same time. And in some ways, we Christians experience the same thing. In one sense, God's kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ. But in another sense, it hasn't come once and for all quite yet. That's why we pray your kingdom come. In one sense, Christ has already won the victory over sin, death, and Satan at his death and resurrection. But in another sense, the fullness of his victory isn't obvious yet. In one sense, we Christians are already raised to new life by faith in Jesus Christ. But in another sense, we haven't experienced our final resurrection just yet. In one sense, sin has no dominion over us anymore. But in another sense, the day when sin is truly eradicated isn't here yet. In one sense, we can already come to Christ and rest. But in another sense, not yet. We're still waiting for his return. We're still watching the clouds. We're still eagerly anticipating the joy of resting in his presence for all eternity. And in the meantime, we still have work to do as we look forward to rest. So we would be wise to hear Joshua's farewell address, his last will and testament in chapter 23. We too must remember our dependence upon God. We too must respond to his grace with faithfulness and obedience. We too must embrace our calling to stick out from the unbelieving world around us. And we too must heed the warnings against falling away and endure. Why? How? For what? For God's glory. By God's grace. So that we may find rest. I don't know about you, but I often find myself wanting to rest. Life is exhausting. The world is a busy place. And following our Lord isn't always easy. But we press on, confident that one day, thanks to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and with the help of the Holy Spirit within us, one day we will find rest in God's presence. Joshua couldn't really give it. The promised land couldn't truly give it. Nothing in this world that promises you rest can actually deliver it in the end. But God can. And God has. And God will give his people rest. In some ways already. 
In other ways, not yet. But may we strive to enter that rest by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. In some ways, Sunday is an example of the already, not yet. We already get the privilege of gathering with your people and worshiping you, singing songs together. But in another sense, it's something that we look forward to. That passage that Joshua read from Revelation 7, when people stand in your presence worshiping you, when we stand in your presence worshiping you with with no separation, with no distance, with no barriers at all. We look forward to that day of rest. And so I pray that you would help us endure, that you would help us do the work you've given us to do between now and the time that we get to truly rest in your presence. Thank you for the promises that you've given us right now that are very real and very great and very wonderful. But Lord, we also look forward to the future. When all of your promises, every single word of them, will be fulfilled in all their fullness. So, Lord, help us endure. Help us stay strong. Help us persevere in this life that you've given us, these callings that you've given us, the words that you've given us. Help us stay strong and strive to enter that rest that we know will come, that we're confident will come. Because the grave of Jesus Christ is empty. Thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Lord, help us endure until he returns. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.